You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. I'm sorry, I'm not doing it the wrong way. This is Play by Play Cast, the world's number one sports media podcast. Wait, what? Nobody's fact checking it, just keep going. Here we go. Who the hell is Happy Gilmore? Got all that on camera, right, John? Sure, I did. All right, because the red light was not on. The podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster. Oh, you can stick me in some kind of Italian boat because that one is Gondola. Now, from New York. Really? All the big ones are from New York. Your host, Joe Godet. It's still Joel. Yeah, he will not be able to see very well, Cotton. All right, hey, it's episode number 164 of Play by Playcast. Thanks, as always, for the subscribe, the stream, the download, however you have found this here podcast. My name is Joel Godet. This is the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters, hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster, professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparation of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. College football season, one week down. Pretty cool week. Ball State took on Indiana in the Ruoff kickoff classic uh, this past Saturday from Lucas Oil Stadium as a Ball State home game. So Ball State was in red in the end zones of Lucas Oil Stadium. And I got to call a game in an NFL stadium, which doesn't happen every day. So that was kind of cool. Got a really good Nat sound mix. So it sounds really good. Well, the crowd does. The play-by-play was questionable. Um, but it was just a cool experience. Very high, the furthest I've ever called a game. Um, I, it has to be. Had to get an extension for our sideline, like Finn, because couldn't get our sideline guy. He was just too far away. Uh, but it was cool. And I, I just got really good at using my binoculars. And it tested. It was the greatest test ever for number memorization. <laughs> because I couldn't look down at my chart, even if I needed to. It was locked into the binoculars, uh, but it was good. Fun one to get under the belt, and uh, now looking forward to week two coming up tomorrow. Ball State takes on Fordham in its uh, true home opener. Uh, hopefully a good crowd, hopefully a good sound mix behind that one as well, and, uh, and off to the races. Uh, our guest this week is uh, fresh off broadcasting high school football, or at least as you listen to this, she's about to broadcast high school football uh, for Friday Night Stripes, which we will talk about on Twitter. Uh, She is also a very frequent face you'll see on ESPN and the SEC Network, uh, where she really got her start in television in the Southeast on on a national stage, uh, but also worked in local television television. as kind of her foray into this business. She's one of the bigger up-and-coming names in all of play-by-play, and I do believe at the time she signed a full-time contract with ESPN, she was the youngest full-time contracted play-by-play announcer with ESPN. Uh, Her name is Courtney Lyle. She does a ton of stuff right now. Uh, College volleyball, did a ton of softball, uh, Little League World Series of softball, a uh, ton of college basketball uh, is all over the place if you check out the ESPN family of networks. And uh, excited to be able to uh, to sit down and talk with her on uh, this week's episode number 164 of PXPCast. Before we get to Courtney, quick reminders. Um, if you have the opportunity, 
do throw a rating or review the podcast way. I stopped asking for like a month and a half, and we got like 10 reviews. So maybe that was the secret, but I figured I would ask again. Uh, we're almost to 100, so that would be cool. And uh, follow us on Twitter as well. We're at PXPCast. I am at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T. All right. Housekeeping out of the way. Let's get to it with Courtney Lyle this week of ESPN. I want to start, if I can, on travel stories, uh, which is something we do sometimes on here. But uh, just scrolling through Twitter, there were two things that stuck out to me. Um, number one was the trip that you're on right now. Um, what's it like to have a car pull you up to the tarmac? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so... <laughs> That, this is the very first time this has ever happened. So I fly on Delta Airlines and sometimes, very rarely, they look at the schedule every day and see who has really tight connections. And if you have a tight connection and you're a certain status and there's so many different factors, they schedule you for a Porsche pickup. And I'm like half asleep on this flight because it was a 6 a.m. flight and we land in Atlanta and we're deboarding and the flight attendant is like, are you Miss Lyle? And I was like, yes. She said, they're waiting for you out here. And I immediately knew, Joel, I was like, this is the day. I have been waiting for this day <laughs> that one day I would get to ride in the Porsche. And so then they like take you down the steps outside of the um, jet bridge and you get into the Porsche and they drive you to your next plane. And that is the coolest thing that has ever happened to me on travel. Usually it's always bad travel stories, but that like made my day. It was awesome. So two things. Uh, number one, I, I, I didn't know that was the thing that Delta did. Um, and number two, I now know I need a better status on my Delta flights because yeah. that, that's not what <laughs> happens when I have a tight connection in the slightest. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I definitely have run through the Atlanta airport because I always connect in Atlanta. I live in Knoxville, Tennessee, so it's like a 30-minute flight to Atlanta, and then I go wherever I want to in the world, literally. Um, so I have run through the Atlanta airport multiple times. I have run up to the gate, and the door just closed, and I see the plane sitting there, but I can't get on. So trust me, there's been multiple. There's been way more times that I've missed connections or something bad has happened traveling than I get picked up in a Porsche, but that was just amazing. <laughs> so that leads me to the second question I had for you, um, because your very first ESPN or SEC Network event, uh, you did have a travel snafu, correct? Yes, I did. So this is so... At the time, I was working for WBIR, which is the NBC affiliate in Knoxville, Tennessee. So I was covering the Tennessee football team playing Alabama in Tuscaloosa. And ESPN said, hey, we want to test you out on volleyball. Can you do this volleyball match at Alabama the same weekend? So I was like, this is perfect. I'll drive my own car down and do the football game for WBIR, and then I'll stay and do the volleyball game on Sunday. Well, my car decides that the transmission is going to go out, so I roll into Tuscaloosa literally smoking. There's black smoke, like, coming out of my car. That's comforting. And my dad, my dad happened to be going to the game, too. He went to the University of Tennessee, huge Tennessee fan, so he was down there, too, and I'm calling him, like, Please come handle this situation with my car. I've got to go do live shots for NBC, for our, our NBC station in Knoxville in like an hour. I don't have time to deal with this. So he gets my car handled. Somebody comes and picks it up to replace the transmission. But then I have to get to my volleyball game the next day. So my dad 
picks me up from the hotel and takes me to my very first ever network broadcast where I'm doing play-by-play. And I just really didn't ever think that when I finally got that chance someday to be on a network and do play-by-play that my dad would be dropping me off at the game. You just don't, that's not how you envision it. But thank goodness he was there um, to help me out with that. So the moral of the story is just, just always love your parents because no matter what, they're there for you. Oh, totally. Like, <laughs> he totally had my back on that because that was... But then you look back on it, and it's a funny story. And, yeah, you got to get to the game no matter what the circumstance. Your dad was your first tie to all of this, though, wasn't he? So it was kind of kind of a cool little circular completion there, if that makes sense. It Yes. So he started out in broadcasting, too, um, and he did some reporting. He worked for um, the ABC affiliate in Knoxville doing sports. He worked for WIVK, which is a big radio station in Knoxville, and he really got on the radio side of things, and he was um, the general sales manager at a station in Nashville, Tennessee, um, for a country station and a sports talk station. And so he kind of is the one that started my love for this, definitely started my love sports because we would go to it was kind of crazy we would friday night um i went to brentwood high school in nashville tennessee and we would broadcast our high school football games on like the educational access channel and i would call the games that was my first play-by-play position was calling our high school football games then we would get up saturday and my dad and i would drive to knoxville to go to the tennessee game and then on sunday if the titans were playing at home we would drive back to nashville and go to the titans game Yes, we are insane, but it was awesome. Those are some of like the best memories. Like I would do homework in the car and it was just, I, I will always have those memories uh, with my dad. He got me started in this. um, And I'm so thankful that we had that, um, that to bond us together. It's, it's changing more nowadays. um, Although it's still probably not where it, where it ultimately should be. But uh, as you're growing up, uh, who did you look at to say like, having somebody that you could see on television that, that you say, hey, that looks like me, like having a woman you could look up to in a play-by-play booth, what made you say that was the avenue I wanted to go or these are the people that I wanted to be um, because they did it and, and I know that I can follow in those footsteps? It's kind of interesting because I don't know if it was a female broadcaster that I first watched, but I grew up watching Pat Summit coach women's basketball and have a huge impact on the sports world and watching her. I mean, I thought I was going to go to Tennessee and play for Pat Summit. I went to her basketball camp and then I realized, you know, I am terrible at this, but I still love the sport, but I watched her, how everybody had so much respect for her in the world of sports. So it was never in my head that, Oh, I'm a woman. I can't, be a sports broadcaster. I can't be a play-by-play announcer. She's kind of the one that sets the tone for you can do whatever you want to do. And then when I got thinking this is what I want to do, it was people like Beth Mowens who has been so helpful to me even now. I mean, I'm working on a high school football project for Adidas and she was so kind enough last year before I did it for the very first time. I mean, we spent 30 minutes on the phone together. Hey, how do I do this? How do I format my board? Because it's a totally different world uh, when you do football, no matter how many different sports you've done. And she has been so kind and encouraging. And I think that's what a lot of people might miss that, you know, there's a, there's women that do this now. It's becoming not like an anomaly to have a woman broadcaster on sports. And that's because of people like Beth Mullen, Pam Ward, um, 
people that, that started a long time ago doing this and not caring what other people thought. They wanted to be a play-by-play announcer, an analyst, um, and they just continued to fight for that. What sent you down the play-by-play path? Well, I, I actually, it's funny because I mentioned in high school, we I did it for our little county TV station, and I knew 100% that I did not want to do play-by-play, which is so funny. I was like, this is not what I want to do. I don't like it. It's too much work. I don't know enough. I want to do I'm going to be a sideline reporter. I can tell stories. And I was 100% sure that's not what I wanted to do. And then I got to college at the University of Tennessee, and I worked in the athletic broadcasting department. They call themselves VFL Films now, and they're just an incredible group of people over there. Link Hudson and Barry Rice um, run that department. And I did some play-by-play for them. And then when the SEC Network came along, I had graduated college. But now the schools were required to do these events online for, on the Watch ESPN app. So they asked, hey, can you come do play-by-play? And I did, I think it was a basketball game. It was my first event online only, of course, just for the school. And I loved it. And everything I had thought before was out the door. It's, I want to do play-by-play. I love the preparation. If you don't love the preparation, you can't do this job, and that's probably my favorite thing about it. What changed? Like, what, what happened in doing those first few games um, at Tennessee where it reversed whatever you thought about it in high school? That's a great question. It's just, it's a different feeling. You sit down and, like, you get the countdown in your ear from the producer that we are going on air. And you're the voice of the broadcast. I mean, the play-by-play drives the ship. The analyst kind of tells us, you know, how and why we're doing something, but I'm kind of the one that's steering us towards the end of the game and telling, you know, making sure the conversation's moving along. And you're right there courtside for basketball. You get to talk to the coaches. You get to learn about the teams. You get to learn about the players. And I love sports so much. It's a way for me to stay involved. And that first time I did it, I just, it was such an adrenaline rush that I wanted to do that again. And I wanted to get better at doing this, at, at, you know, honing my craft for play by play. I don't know what it was. It was just like a light click. And everything I had thought previously was different. I'm curious your take on this side of it, too, because um, I, I dabbled, like I interned in, in TV sports when I was in college and, and thought very briefly about that route. And I know you, you did TV sports when you first came out of school as well. Um, but the thing that, I mean, like you just said, it, it puts you in the game. You're talking to coaches, you're telling stories, you're getting to know people, and it takes you away from the I need a 30-second soundbite type of mentality, and you can kind of really get to know people. Um did that resonate with you or I mean that that's kind of one of the things that stuck with me is that one of the things that that shifted you in that direction absolutely I mean one of the things that I definitely learned a lot I did about five years in local television um at two different tv stations doing sports and one of the things that used to stress me out the most was you know I'm always thinking okay what am I going to put in the three minutes in my news in my sports cast And that may not seem like a long time, but when you're cutting video and shooting the video and editing it, I mean, that's a lot of different elements to put together. And you just kind of get focused on, okay, yeah, I need that 30-second or that 20-second soundbite. For play-by-play, I'm going to go sit at practice, and I'm going to talk to the coach, and I'm going to ask them questions and pick their brain. 
And then maybe I'll learn something extra today and I can use that. Maybe it's not even in the game I'm doing then. Maybe it's two weeks or a year down the road. It comes back up. Something that I learned at a practice there. It's much more about building that relationship and getting to know the team so that you can kind of help the audience have a better insight into what this team is like besides what they just see on the court on TV. If I can get wonky with you, uh, on that note, uh, what's the best way that you have found when it comes to incorporating all of that? How, what has made you a good storyteller and uh, kind of like a best practices of, all right, now I've got all of this information. What's the best way to deliver it without inundating people, making sure it's in the right spot, um, making sure it's told succinctly? Uh, how do you attack storytelling uh, during the course of a game? That's a great question. And I think that's a question that I know personally I'm still working on, and I think every play-by-play can get even better. One, it starts with I watch and see how other people do it. How does Mike Tirico do it? How does Adam Amin do it? How does Beth Mullins tell stories and set up the story of these teams? I actually, I have, um, so every play-by-play has a broadcasting board, like a chart for each team. And so on the corner of my chart, I write down maybe five or six, one word just that would key my brain to a story. Like, hey, um, for example, we've got a football game tonight, and one of the players, one of the linebackers actually went through heat stroke in the summer and lost 30 pounds and was in the hospital. So all I have written down under storylines is Isaiah Hospital. And I keep little nuggets like that. So if I get stuck in a game and we're in a weird time and I I need something to talk about, I look at that little tiny list of bullet points to trigger my memory. But I think also the thing that's very key with storytelling is you can't force it. If I want to tell that story about Isaiah in this game and he's not playing or he isn't playing well, then I don't need to force that story. Like, that's really important. You don't want to try to force anything in. And that's where your producer really can help you. Um, I've had the luxury of working with a producer at ESPN named Anthony DeVita for a couple of years now on two different sports. And we've kind of gotten on the same page where if I see something unfolding in the game, I'll hit him. We have a button called talk back where I can talk to the guys in the truck off air that nobody else can hear and say, Hey, I think we should do this here. Or do we have a graphic on how many points per game they scored last year or whatever, whatever the story is. And I can say, Hey, Davida, I think we should do this story here. And he will be like, yes, I was just thinking about that. Let's go ahead and do it. Or no, let's hold off until this point. It's a lot of give and take and recognizing situations because the worst thing you can do is force a story in. And, and you've seen it. I mean, you've seen it on any broadcast where there's 10 seconds left in the game. Somebody calls timeout. Maybe it's not really a close game. And all of a sudden we're going to a, a some video about the new locker room. Like that's forcing something in. There's there's no need for that. You didn't get it in earlier in the game. Then this is probably probably not the right point to do it. But it's kind of learning, and it, it all comes with experience. Yeah, not only have I seen that, I've definitely done it. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I have too, for sure. <laughs> not not a great moment, but it's it's in there. Um, I know you worked a ton <laughs> as a PA in in your this is going to say, seem weird, in your early years. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, and and you've talked about how that's shifted your perspective a little bit as well in terms of knowing what happens on the other side and having an eye for production and knowing what those uh, men and women do. Um, can you expound upon that a little bit just in terms of what you learned and, and maybe how you look at things differently uh, because you've been that person on the other side? Yeah, 
or seen that person. Absolutely. Yeah, I think the biggest thing, actually, I'm so thankful for my local news experience because when you're working and doing sports on your local news station, wherever, whatever town you live in, um, you're shooting your own stuff. You're going out and doing your own interviews. Uh, when you come back, you have to ingest all the footage. You have to edit the footage. You have to write the web story. You have to write the script that goes in the prompter. You have to make sure the video gets to the web. And then you also have to go out and anchor it. Like, go sit on the desk and deliver all this work that you've put in all day. So that really give, gave me an appreciation for what everybody else does because there are so many jobs behind the, behind the scenes, if you will, that people don't see on TV. Uh, I mean, we have somebody who comes up with all of the graphics that we do and they have them all typed up and sitting next to that person is an operator who punches up that graphic number when it's called for and puts it on the screen. And there's all different kinds of positions. And I think that's, really important to know what those people do because it'll help you say, Hey, let's do this a little bit differently. Or I have this idea for this. Um, and it helps to have some background on how the truck works. I got the privilege of interning at ESPN for two summers. And when you go up to Bristol and you do an internship, you're a PA, which is a production assistant. I mean, they put you to work. You're not an intern. So I worked on the 2010 uh, World Cup in South Africa. I was in Bristol, Connecticut, doing support for that and getting requests for footage from the 300 employees that ESPN had in South Africa. And I wasn't treated any other way. It was like, I need this footage. I need you to go find it. I need you to feed it to us through the satellite and just get it done. And I'm not, I can't, I'm not going to tell you two times how to do it. So Seeing all those different areas of different jobs, it really helps. It helps you come up with more creative ideas, and it helps you appreciate the people that are working their butts off behind the scenes. No pressure, by the way, when you're in that situation and you're 18 or 19 yeah, years old. Yeah, no, it's fine. It's <laughs> fine. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, maybe this puts you too much on the spot, but uh, if those types of things help you become more creative, um, what are the types of things that you've come up with for games that you're proud of from a creative storytelling or a creative way of showing something uh, standpoint? Sure. Well, actually, I'll just use an example um, from two nights ago. I was so excited uh, for volleyball for ESPN. We had the number one team in the nation, Stanford. And these seniors for Stanford, they've already won two national championships. They've won the Pac-12 twice. There's five All-Americans. I mean, it's just crazy. And I said, you know what? instead of like we're going to put all their accolades up on a graphic on the screen and that's great but why don't we have a little fun with it and get to know them and do senior superlatives so i actually shoot a lot of things on my iphone i have a little microphone so i had three of the seniors come over and i was like hey who's the best cook on the team who's most likely to be president who's most likely to be your boss and then we edit that little piece together on my on iMovie actually on my computer and I sent it to our guys in the truck, and they were awesome. They got it in. So we came in, we rolled that in the show, and then right after that, we came up with a graphic about all their accomplishments on the court. So that's just something a little bit different that I thought of because I've had the experience shooting. So I can go and shoot just a little thing, and it's fortunate now that iPhone cameras are so good that we air the stuff on TV, but that's just a little different way of getting to know the senior class. We see their personality 
And then we show them, oh, yeah, by the way, they've won two national championships. They've won 93 matches. They've only lost 12 in their career. We get to the numbers afterwards. And it benefits to have a microphone that you can just plug into your phone in your back pocket uh, that way. Oh, my gosh, yeah. (laughs) Um, I like that, though. That's an interesting way to – I like the humanized aspect of that and getting to know them beyond stats and numbers and figures because that part's obviously easy. Um, I mean, that's that's the part that tells itself. Um, tell me about your, uh, your hustle early in your career though, also, because I mean, you're not even 30 yet and obviously have been with ESPN for, for several years. Um, and I read a story about when you met Pat Lowry, who was a coordinating producer at the SEC tournament and just kind of reached out and said, we need to meet if I've got that right. Or like, can I please meet with you? Um, and, and how did just taking that initiative, uh, a benefit you, um, from a like holistic standpoint, just like make you a better broadcaster and a better person, but also put you in a position to rise, uh, in your career, the way that you have as, as well and as quickly as you have. Yeah. So that's, um, I've got to credit my dad with making me go out and like (laughs) talk to people when I was little and it made me uncomfortable. So, but now it's really paying off because if I, have an idea for something or I want to do something or if I want to talk to somebody, I'll just email them or call them and say, hey, what can I do? So this was 2016 at the SEC Women's Basketball Tournament, and I was there covering it for um, my local news station. I was covering the Tennessee Lady Vols because I was working out of Knoxville, and I knew that Pat Lowry, who I had had a few conversations with, was going to be there because she oversees basketball um, uh, for ESPN and SEC Network. So I just, I emailed her and our text, I don't know, I got in contact with her and I said, Pat, I'm going to be there. Can I have five minutes of your time? And she was kind enough to say yes. And at this point I had done two volleyball matches for her, including the one where my dad dropped me off. So (laughs) I had done two volleyball matches and I just went and I sat down with her for five minutes and I was like, look, these are my goals. I want to be a part of this. Um, right now, I'm just I'm I'm ready to take that next step. What can I do for you? And she was so open to that. She was very encouraging. She said she would like to me to be a part of the team someday. And so, actually, that August um, of that year, I signed my first contract with ESPN. It's just about it's being at the right place at the right time but also being ready for that opportunity. If I hadn't had my experience calling games at Tennessee when I was in college or calling games online or local news reporting, there is no way I would have been ready for that opportunity when it was ready for me. And because I reached out and had a face-to-face meeting with her, even for five minutes, I mean, I was nervous, absolutely, but it's worth taking that risk go out and put yourself out there because an in-person meeting is going to go a lot longer than a lot further than just an email to somebody. What do you think were those, those next, those kind of those, those finishing next steps for you as well? At that point, you'd done a couple of games um, on the network. You'd done those couple of volleyball games. And then obviously within a year, you've signed a contract. Um, What do you think is a separator and a difference maker between that person who, hey, here's a couple of games for you to do. We'll see how you do versus, all right, you're going to get a, 
uh, a full time deal and an, and an at ESPN uh, e- email address, and, and you're and you're on the team. You're part of the team. Uh, those differences between good and great, so to speak. I think it comes down to work ethic. How much time are you going to put into your preparation? When you do this job, you're going to you'll be on TV for two hours, but it's hours and hours of prep before those two hours talking on TV that make or break you. Did you watch film? Do you know tendencies? Do you know what this team likes to do when they're facing a zone defense? Do you know what they like to do when they're facing a man? Does the point guard always go to the right? Like that kind of thing. That's going to make the difference. And it's going back. And this is a lot. This is a hard thing. Sometimes it's still hard for me to do this, especially when I don't feel like I had the best broadcast to go back and watch yourself. That is so important, and that's something that I've actually learned over the last two years. Um, The first year was so overwhelming. I was doing 50 games. I was just learning this side of the business compared to local TV, trying to keep up, trying to get better and learn all the teams. And year two, I had a really good understanding of the teams I was covering, so I could focus a little bit more on me, and that means watching yourself. I learned that I like to say, of course, a lot. I'll say, well, of course, so-and-so did this, but of course, so-and-so also said this about this player. And I got to stop that. You don't learn about that until you go back and watch yourself. So that's, it's hard to do sometimes, especially when you don't feel like you had your best product, uh, your best performance, but it's never as bad or as good as you think it is. That's what I've learned from doing that. But it's definitely the hard work and the preparation that makes the difference. Yeah, I say two a lot. That's my my bad one. Is like everything is a compounding sentence, so everything ends in two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which blows my See, mind. everybody has it. Right. Yeah, um, everybody does it. And I can't get like, for the life of me, you know, it's gotten better, but it is what it is uh, for right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on the prep side, uh, you know, it, it's interesting because to hear you talk about it th- that way in terms of watching film and, and completely understanding the nuances of, hey, this kid always goes right, or whatever else pops out as important to you. Um, what else, like, what does pop out as important to you? When you do prep, uh, you watch film for what? Like, what is the, the most important thing you need to learn? And then if you're just reading articles or if you're talking to players and coaches, what are the things that you find are most important that differentiate, you know, whatever... Tennessee game you're going to call from whatever Tennessee game the next person that shows up on Saturday for their next game might call? Absolutely. My, my goal is I want I want you to get to know the team on a personal level. So that, And then ESPN has really pushed this. They yeah. say humanize before analyze, and I think that's great. If you tune into, we'll use Tennessee. If you tune into a a Tennessee basketball game and you don't care anything about Tennessee, you don't know anything about their program. But I tell you that Admiral Schofield, who played for the Tennessee men's team last year, you know, was a a military kid. He grew up in a military family. He was only a three-star athlete, and now he's projected to be you know, a great player in the NBA. And here's why, because he went to work, Rick Barnes believes in him and has pushed him. And he loves his coach so much. He wants to be the best basketball player for him. Whether you like Tennessee or not, I hope 
you're going to want to root for this kid because he's put in the work. So it's little stories like that. The watching film is important because I need to know if Fair Hall, who plays volleyball for Florida, if she had a terrible match last match and had, you know, 20 errors or something ridiculous like that and hit negative, I need to know what situations they were putting her in. Were they forcing the ball to her? Was she attacking any from the back row? What was it that allowed her to struggle? Was it just her? She was just off. So if she goes off, I know, hey, just two days ago, she had the worst match of her career. This doesn't happen. This is all hypothetical. But I need to know that because it helps tell the story. Back to storytelling that, hey, she's cleared her head. She's back in the game. She's helping Florida get it done. So it's little things like that, and it also helps your analyst. If I know tendencies of players and I see something, I can cue the analyst. Hey, look, they're doing this, and then the analyst can jump in because that's the analyst's job to give me the how and the why. The play-by-play gives you who did what. The analyst tells you how they did it and why they did it. And accuse you to ask them questions without asking them a direct question because you can allude to something you've seen that they then can go off on which is a nice kind of way to slip it in. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. How else do you best utilize your analysts? Like, what's your best practices for bringing the most out of the person sitting next to you? I think it's, one, making sure you get to know them. And sometimes that's hard because we're thrown into situations where maybe we only work with person one time. And maybe because of travel or other games going on, you, you get there late the night before and your game's at noon the next day. So there's not a lot of time to get to know each other. Sure. But I think the, the best thing you can do is have a conversation with your analyst. Make it a conversation on TV. I, I hate it when I see when we, you sit down and you're watching a game and the play-by-play is just asking straight-up questions <laughs> to the analyst. That drives me nuts. Like, have a conversation. Frame it a different way. So it's more like you're sitting on the couch with your friend watching this game and you guys are talking about it. I think that helps you. It helps the analyst. And I think it makes it more enjoyable for the viewer. To that end, um, I know you talked about doing high school football. Uh, You've got a game coming up tonight. Uh, It's only on Twitter. It's much more relaxed. Like I I know like you guys wear like Adidas clothing and T-shirts and track pants and all that stuff and it's got a much different vibe to it um is it is there a different approach in terms of how you call the game and and even the conversational aspect that you and aj hawk will have because of the nature of the broadcast versus if you were doing a you know national game of the week on sec network or that type of thing is is it a different challenge and and can it be more fun uh in some respects because of that Uh, It definitely is a different challenge um, because coming into this project last year was the first year we did called Friday Night Stripe. um, And it is broadcast live on Twitter and uh, Adidas is the main sponsor. That's why you see us wearing the Adidas gear. And it is supposed to be more relaxed because they want it to feel like, you know, people are scrolling through their social media feed. They want to feel like they can join in to what we're talking about in this game. So it's a lot more emphasis on, Hey, Ask people what they think about this play. Ask people what who they want to see. Who should we isolate on a series? Who do you want to see in our in our three stripe spotlight? Like, so it's a little more laid back, and that's been it's been an adjustment to get used to for sure because I'm used to 
the prep doesn't change. It's just the delivery and being more, there's more room for storytelling. Um, they don't want me to call every play and that's fine. I, I, it's been hard to adjust to that because I want to. Um, and there's no commercials. That's another, that's another big adjustment. There's no break. There's no halftime break. So when we are on, we are on for three hours and that conversation continues. But I think it's good because I think it's another way to learn something about doing play by play in a little bit different format. Um, and it's a good way to get adjusted to football. My goal is to do football for ESPN someday. And I'm hoping that I can go and get experience here um, with our great crew at Friday Night Stripes. And that can translate someday to our ESPN family for the their football teams. So we'll see. It's definitely been different. And it's been a challenge in a good way. Football's hard to call in the first place. Um, because there's so many players, especially high school. Guys, right. it's not like I show up to the high school game and there's a media relations person. <laughs> I mean, I I have had to type up a team's roster myself because they just don't have one because it's high school football. Like, the prep is probably more intense because I'm Googling every single player because there's no – in college, you get a notes packet. There's nothing like that in high school. So – it's been a challenge, but it's it's been a challenge in a good way. Does it throw you to interact with your actual viewers too? Like tweet at me, and I'll read it as I'm calling this game. You know, the first, last year I really had to get adjusted to that, but I feel like this year I'm a little bit more. I've got it pulled up on my phone, so I'm constantly saying, you know, hey, tweet at us, use the hashtag Friday Night Stripes. Last week I asked, where are you guys watching? Somebody from Egypt, Malaysia, and Spain tweeted at me. So that was cool. And I just kind of have to remind myself, hey, we're on Twitter. Get people to interact with us. But I think that's kind of cool, too. Like, you can't sit down and watch a NFL football game and interact directly with the announcers where they're looking for tweets. I mean, I think that's pretty cool that this is a platform you can do that. Uh, how do people find uh, Friday Night Stripes, or how do they find um, Courtney Lyle on any other uh, platform or, or social media if they wanted to uh, to track you down or, or check out more of your stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So all my social media is at Sportney underscore Lyle. Um, and then Friday Night Stripes, you can just use the hashtag Friday Night Stripes, um, and we tweet out, I'll tweet out the link. Um, they'll tweet out the link there to watch it on Twitter. And yeah, it's really cool. We we had four million views last week for our first game of the season, so that we were really fired up about that. We were in Fort Lauderdale, and tonight we are here in Colorado for a good one. The funny thing about it is, like, as as great as all the ESPN stuff is, like that that's probably your most viewed outlet in terms of the Friday Night Stripes because like, four million people is a ton of people. Um, compared, I know compared it's, it's crazy, and just yeah, and just because we had people watching all over the world too, yeah. so it was really cool. All right, that is Courtney Lyle joining us here this week on PXPCast. And usually at this point, I, I tell you something I really enjoyed about the interview. Full disclosure, I recorded this before I did the interview. So uh, I thought that part around minute 23 was really good. We'll see how accurate I can be on my, my, my predilections here. Uh, many thanks to Courtney for joining us. If you want to follow Courtney on social media and uh, get a little bit more uh, Courtney Lyle in your life, and if you want to check out uh, Friday Night Stripes, which is pretty much uh, an exclusive broadcast on Twitter, uh, do check out her Twitter feed. She is 
and kudos on this, at Sportney underscore Lyle. At Sportney, S-P-O-R-T-N-E-Y underscore Lyle. So check her out on Twitter. Give her a follow and give her a shout if you enjoyed what you heard on the podcast here today. Always love uh, when our guests know that people listened. They do, but like it's, it's cool when they find out firsthand as well. Uh, until next week, we're on a seven-day break. My name is Joel Gadet. This is PXPCast. Many thanks to Courtney. And we are out. And that will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.